Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast. I'm Tim McNinch. I teach Hebrew Bible at Christian Theological Seminary. And I'm Rachel Wren. I teach Biblical Studies at Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University. The first reading for October 8th, 2023 is Exodus 20, verses 1 through 4, comma, 7 through 9, comma, 12 through 20, <laughs> also known as the Ten Commandments. So, Tim, you've got this one. So where do you want to take us with this very familiar passage? Mm, yes, and, and I like the way that you read the, <laughs> the outline of which texts are included because, uh, yes, the lectionary abbreviates this list of the Ten Commandments because if you read the whole thing, it's it's a bit long. So, uh, yeah, I guess I guess the uh, compilers uh, cut out whatever they thought wasn't all that important in the, mm. in the text. <clears throat> and we'll just let that sit there like that. <laughs> But I will say that, um, yes, uh, this this actually is quite a familiar passage in the sense of people have heard of the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. and um, many find them really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yet, at the same time, in a way, it, it may be one of the most familiar, unfamiliar passages mm-hmm. in the Hebrew Bible, because if you actually ask people, oh, yeah, yeah, Ten Commandments, so what are those commandments? <laughs> uh, the, you might get some answers like, uh, I don't know, like, I think don't kill is in there, <laughs> Don't lie, cheat, and steal. (laughs) Isn't that how it goes, right? Uh, Generally, be a good person. That's the Ten Commandments, right? There you go. (laughs) So I I think uh, one one avenue into thinking of this as a preaching text is to sort of take it away from being just a list of biblical rules Mm. and actually put it in its context a little bit so that we can see it um, as part of the unfolding biblical story. Mm Mm-hmm. I would probably start, if I were preaching this, by setting some of the context of that story. So this this doesn't just land in the middle of the Psalms or something, <laughs> right? So we've come out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. We've traveled with the people of Israel to the mountain. And um, God has appeared to them yeah. in this awesome, violent uh, uh, experience, theophany, I guess we would call it, a mm-hmm. revelation of God and in, in lightning and thunder and all of that. Yeah. You know, I remember, I mean, I I was probably teaching Old Testament for the first time. And, and one of the ways I, at Trinity, and one of the ways I do that is to go through, like they, they're assigned to read every book of the Bible. I don't know if they do or not. I'm sure they do because they're amazing. <laughs> but um, they're assigned to read every book of the Bible. And so as I was preparing the lecture that day, that was when it struck me, this context, this divine theophany context into which the Ten Commandments appear. And I was like, man, this is a great story. And so often, like you were saying, the con- the commandments have been lifted out of that story that I think it really would be powerful to put them back in it. And even when you look at this through a kind of source-critical um, perspective, it seems like this list of these words from God don't really fit <laughs> um, linguistically with where they're set. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're that they don't belong here. It just means that mm-hmm. somebody intentionally mm-hmm. felt like this is where this should go and yeah. put it here as a part of this experience of divine revelation. Yeah, like the the Christ hymn in Philippians or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has a place. And putting this list within the story of the revelation of God on the mountain, uh, to me, it shows that what God is offering here is not so much a an abstract list of rules for all eternity for everyone, but a uh, an expression of the revelation of God to this people in this moment in their history, right? 
It's the, God is giving them a way of being mm. the people of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, that helps me see this as less abstract and more about a developing relationship between Israel and God. Yeah, lovely, lovely. I think that's really important. I think the giving them a way of being, an identity, and a, a healthy boundary for, for establishing this relationship. And I think actually some of the some of the Hebrew of the text here uh, helps to emphasize that point. I would mm-hmm. say we know this as the Ten Commandments, but uh, they're actually not called that here. This yeah. is introduced as the words that God spoke, a devarim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, these are not commandments that God commanded, but words devarim that God spoke to bear. Mm-hmm. And so the emphasis, even in the way it's framed in this passage, is not so much on rules but about a speaking, communicating deity. Mm, mm. And as I thought about that, you know, sometimes my head's sort of in the ancient Southwest Asian world, you know, and and uh, I think of uh, King Hammurabi of Babylon. Nice. And the, the, the code, the law code of Hammurabi, which shows uh, even in the, the art that's on, on the top of it, the, the god Shamash um, giving Hammurabi the authority to create laws. Mm -hmm. And there's this sort of delegation of law making to the king while the God sort of is handed over that power and then steps back. Mm, Yeah. This is different. This is the, the deity God's self interacting with the people in a, in a direct, powerful, scary way. Yeah. uh, But communicating with the people. Mm. I love that emphasis upon a communicating deity versus a commanding deity. I think that's really nice. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we do like to talk about some preaching pitfalls in particular. We do. And I think there is one that really strikes me uh, if you were to attempt to preach from the Ten Commandments. Uh, the temptation to say that following these commands is the way that we earn God's favor. Mm, mm-hmm. You would never do that, Rachel, no. because you're a Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> it's against my DNA. <laughs> yes. Although I will say that I have heard in um, traditions that come from the Reformation uh, that this is how the Jews or the Israelites or the people in Old Testament times used to try to earn God's favor. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. law but now right. we have grace, we have Jesus. Right. And so there's a way of preaching these commands as, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is the standard that we can never meet. And, but if, if we could, you know, that would earn God's favor, but we can't, we're mm-hmm. sinful. Therefore, Jesus. Yeah, right. <laughs> Ergo, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and I would caution against that route as well. Yeah. Um, because in a way that pushes these words off as being for some other people at some Mm -hmm. other time. And our goal as Christian readers of the Hebrew Bible is to own this as our scripture too, Mm -hmm. and to to ask, how are these words a word of God for us as well? Right? Right. Right. No, I think that's absolutely true. I think of Carmen Imes and how she, she phrased this as the salvation came before these words, these hadavarim, mm-hmm. you know, they were brought out of Egypt. They were experiencing God on the mountain. And only after that divine presence and that divine salvation do the hadavarim come. And that was, I think, a really helpful ordering for me of, no, 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 this is not about earning anything. They've already been given everything. This is simply yeah. how you live 
with everything you've been given, almost like how, how do you be good stewards? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really helpful to help us remember the, uh, narrative ordering there is also a logical or theological ordering there Yeah, that the grace of God comes first. Mm -hmm. And then this is about, um, I mean, we could think of it as a kind of, uh, set of of ethics, mm-hmm. of a way of living that's aligned with the kind of grace that's been poured into mm-hmm. us by God. Mm-hmm. So, so the ethics that are here in these, um, you know, ten words, ten sentences, or, or more, is uh, it flows from a relationship that God has initiated, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's even spelled out in um, what's often numbered as the first of these commands, right? It starts with, "I'm the God who brought you out," right. Therefore, therefore be loyal in your worship and treat your neighbor very well. So the the ethics that are here are not sort of standalone abstract rules, morals, but instead they're living out of the kind of relationship that God has already initiated. Mm, mm, Beautiful. That might even be most, we haven't really talked about um, the specific words, the specific yeah. commands, right? Uh, and and we don't have a lot of time to really delve into that. But I do want to highlight the the Sabbath command, um, which yeah. happens to be the mm-hmm. part that the lectionary kind of oh cuts out and skips, right? <laughs> um, Ten commands? No, we don't need that one. <laughs> And um, it's worth saying there are there are two or three or four lists of the Ten Commandments at various places mm-hmm. in the Hebrew Bible. One of the ways that this list stands out is in its description, its elaboration of the whole Sabbath thing, which is framed as a response to an imitation of God's own rest mm-hmm. uh, in, in creation. God mm-hmm. created the world. And then rested. Therefore, if we're to be imitators of God, God's people, a people with whom God has initiated a relationship, Mm -hmm. we mimic that by resting ourselves. And um, that rest extends not only to the male individuals to whom the command, (laughs) you know, the word is directed, but also to their family units, to even their slaves in their cultural context, even to their animals Mm -hmm. are to be given rest. Mm -hmm. This imitation of God then, like the the whole community is uh, drawn into that. Yeah, and what I love about Leviticus is that the land is drawn into that as well, that every seventh year the land shall be given a rest, and then mm-hmm. every 50th year the land shall have a, a jubilee. Yeah, I can't remember why, but I think one time I was doing research on the Ten Commandments and, and trying to figure out which one was talked about the most in the rest of the Hebrew Bible, and it's the Sabbath commandment. Uh, Which is very interesting, yeah, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's not one that we typically lift up when we talk about Ten Commandments. Like you said, it's most often don't kill. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What about um? What about the ending paragraph, Tim? Do you have anything? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We should say a bit about that because that's included in the lectionary reading, Mm -hmm. and um, it's kind of interesting, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So here we do get a bit of the narrative context for the list. Where um, in in light of all of the uh, pyrotechnics <laughs> around this revelation of God's communication, the people are freaked out and they tell <laughs> Moses, don't let this God talk to us. Mm-hmm. You go talk to this God and tell us what they say. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, that'll be safe for us. I don't know exactly what I would say as far as uh, uh, preaching this. 
I think exegetically, you know, in, in sort of figuring out what's going on narratively here, there's a contrast being formed between uh, Moses as sort of a idealized leader and mm. the people mm. um, who end up doing all sorts of uh, wrong things the rest <laughs> of the story, right? <laughs> so, so there's something being set up here about how these two entities are configured or characterized mm-hmm. for the rest of the story. Um, nevertheless, I'd say it does catch my attention that uh, in this little piece, the people want a middleman between them and God, while Moses's ideal is for them to have a direct encounter with God, mm-hmm. which is what he advocates for with them. So even if um, that observation doesn't make it into a sermon, I think it's worth pastors kind of reflecting on that, uh, mm-hmm. on their own role as leaders in a worshiping community. Do they, like Moses, try to help people overcome their fear and actually experience the presence of God? Or do they give in to the pressure, the demand Mm. to function as a kind of bottleneck for the divine word? Ooh, Tim. That might be a sermon that preachers could preach to themselves. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, just uh, truthfully, it's probably one I needed to hear when I was in the parish. It, It felt so much like, well, this is my role to preach the word of God, which it is. But I love the way you framed it as um, having a direct encounter with God, that it's also our role to help people um, to, to facilitate those experiences of God. And so to not necessarily be uh, the the cork in that bottleneck, but almost mm-hmm. to be the one who's pouring out the bottle um, for other people to enjoy as well. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, I think that's a, a thought-provoking way to end this episode. Uh, thanks, Tim, for work on defamiliarizing a familiar text. You betcha. Well, folks, that's it for us today. First Reading is produced by Tim and me, along with our wonderful colleagues, Rosie Candle and Paul Asa. You can learn more about the podcast, finding back episodes at our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. And, you know, while you're there, maybe consider donating to support our work. You can find links to give us one-off gifts, set up regular contributions, all on that website. You can find us on Spotify, Facebook, or maybe even wandering the streets in real life. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Just sort of walking around and it's like, wait, are you the Rachel Wren? I heard you talk. Are you Tim McNinch? (laughs) Until next time, I'm Rachel Wren. And I really am Tim McNinch. (laughs) Thanks for listening and have a great week. Sorry.